these things on. There are people out there that probably are not going to be able to be here today that uh, can um, actually see kind of what we're doing here anyway in the book of Romans. We are in Romans 4, starting at 9 through 17, and we continue on with justification by faith. Abraham is the example of it. So here is my question. How can I be righteous before God? How can all of us be righteous before God? Now, is there some kind of religious ritual that I can do to make sure that I stand righteous before Holy God? Um, what is it that can make me just? Can I be good enough? No. What if I follow the Ten Commandments? No. That's not going to do it. You know, for thousands of years all over the world, people have come up with ideas that would make them justified. That would make them be able to go to heaven. That's really what it comes down to. By the way, there are really only two religions. Either it is by grace that we believe in, or it's what you do. One of those two religions is wrong. And I know which one is wrong, and I know which one is right. What we look at in the Word of God says we're only saved by grace. There is no one who can ever be righteous on his own. They can do all the rituals that they want. They can do all the baptisms that they want. They can do all the first communions, the confirmations, all the great humanitarian works that they can do. And they can follow the law. But they'll never be righteous before a holy God. And a lot of people are trying that. Matter of fact, that's what most people do. If they want to go to heaven, or to something that is in the afterlife, as they would say, they know that they have, there has to be goodness. There has to be something they can do is what they think. And there's nothing that mankind can do to be justified before a holy God. And that's what Romans, the first three chapters, are about. Two and a half chapters there. How can one be justified then? And that's exactly where we are at. Let's take the religion of Hinduism. Hinduism. They think they have an answer to this. You want to hear what their answer is? It's quite lengthy. I've got a whole paragraph on it. I'll just give you a little bit of it. Every so often they have a festival. And what it is, there's a confluence uh, of two rivers, one of them called the Gange, Ganja River and also the Yamura River. And at that festival, there is a parade and the whole thing is led by men who would be highly devoted, holy men of the Hindu religion. <laughs> and these holy men lead the way stark naked in this parade to the water. And they're followed by millions of people. This is the largest festival of any religion that mankind knows. Millions of people are there. And when you think about this, this is a difficult journey for a lot of people. People come from all over the world to go there. The rich and the poor. See, there's a caste system in India. But when it comes to this, the rich and the poor are there together. And they do what religion says to do. And so they do all these acts. Uh, some groups of people will actually lay on beds of nails, spiked beds, to do some kind of activity there. You have ascetics that meditate for hours and hours actually sitting on their heads. Others pierce their tongues. They're trying to do something to please the gods. See, in Hinduism, there are millions of gods. And some will kill the use of their limbs, like an arm. 
Maybe that will please God. And what they do is they tie it up in such a way that it becomes atrophy. And they lose the use of that limb. Others blind themselves intentionally by looking up at the sun directly. And they lose their sight. And that will help them get eternal life. Uh, those who battle at the conflux of these two rivers go to heaven. Uh, the, it's been said the pilgrim who bays at this place wins absolution for his whole family. You'll see places where people set up areas or booths where they will shave people's hair off their whole body. Every single hair. And for every hair that goes into the rivers, that water, it means a million years of eternal life for each hair. So this is what they do. This is one of the biggest religions in all the world, people. We're talking millions and millions of people do this. Uh, anyway, it is a filthy river. You've probably seen pictures of some of these things that we're talking about. And there are plenty of religious suicides there at that river. People will do anything to get eternal life. They're doing this for God. You see, they will drown themselves to get eternal life. Some of them will go on such a fast where they have one grain of rice. They go on a fast and they will try to live on one grain of rice until they die. They are taken to the river and put into there, into that river. You know, this is Satan working at his best when he gets into religion and he fools people. They're all responsible for what they do here. See, all the systems of rituals, all the systems of ceremonies, the system of works that grant forgiveness because of what you do by these, that is what's happening. It's shocking, isn't it? To hear this kind of thing. It's a kind of religion that promises a salvation based upon your rituals, your ceremonies, your works. That's the only other religion that there is besides Christianity. Most people follow that route. Now, what we have looked at in our study of Romans... In these first three chapters, and we got into chapter 4 last week, we know that man is not righteous, not even one. We know that by his own nature, he can never hope to have a righteousness that would please God. You see, that's what separates Christianity from all the other religions. They do something. All the cults, the Joseph Smiths and Mormonisms, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Eastern religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Muslims, Judaism, they have a major problem because they're all trying to be righteous. And our Bible just says it plain as can be. You can't do anything. To please God. There's only one way, and that one way is shown in the book of Romans. It's called the good news. It's the gospel. It's that you're saved by grace through faith. You're justified, you're righteous by faith. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad you don't have to go to India to go to those rivers, the nerdy, dirty, nasty rivers, and shave your body off and get into that water. Wouldn't you hate to do that? Well, you see, there's a supreme example of one who was justified by faith. To the Jews, one of the greatest men, and maybe the greatest, is the very progenitor of Judaism or of Jewish people. It's Abraham. Abraham is even claimed by the Muslims. <clears throat> A lot of religions will even claim Abraham. We do. Judaism does also. But we as Christians look at it differently, the way that salvation comes, than even the Jews. 
as we have the very same Old Testament as they do. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And that just knocks down everything that we have just talked about as far as Hinduism is or any other kind of works-based salvation. He believed God. He believed God. Justification comes entirely from God. It does not come from us whatsoever. There is not an ounce of justification in our bones. Nothing there. It means it's all grace or it's nothing, folks. We are saying it's only by grace. We are people that are very narrow because it can't be any other way and that shuts out all the other religions versus Christianity, doesn't it? You see, he believed God that God provided righteousness because he didn't. He couldn't provide the righteousness. Justification comes entirely from God. We are saved by grace. Grace is radical. It's totally unmerited. It's unearned. Even though all of our lives, we have earned our wages. We work for it. We work hard. And that's a good thing. It's good to have a good work ethic. It's a bad thing to have that kind of worth ethic, work ethic for salvation in Christianity, however. It's totally unearned. And we are totally helpless, relying totally upon God to regenerate us because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It's extremely radical. No other religion says this at all. Where one takes the place for another. Because one is righteous and one is not, and that righteousness is then transferred to the one who believes. We need grace severely. Do you guys agree with that? We need grace constantly. Always we need it badly because without it we'll never be righteous. We'll never be saved. It's the only way to be justified, to be forgiven, to be proclaimed righteous is through God's way of providing salvation. Now that's basic Christianity, isn't it? But isn't it deep? And that's what we're going to look at today as we pick up our Bibles. And we read, starting at verse 9 in chapter 4, we've got a big chunk here today. Uh, let's stand and let's read in honor of God's Word this section. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. That's point one. Circumcision. Point two is now going to be dealing with the law. So to circumcision, is that what helps us be saved? No. And now, how about the law? If you're Jew, the law is really important as the circumcision is. Here we go. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, well, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. 
For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Let's pray. Father, great God in heaven, thank you for revealing to us the only way to you. And we know that we would never, ever figure that out on our own, as simple as it seems now. But it's a justification by faith. Thank you, Lord, for we don't have to go chasing all the religions of the world and trying to do this and that, and it would be absolutely fruitless and lead us right into hell. Thank you, Lord, for delivering us by granting us faith. We're saved by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, wow, what a, what a text. As I read through this, I'm going, oh no, it's another text on circumcision. Uh, you know, it's hard to relate to circumcision and the law. We, you know, I mean, we're not Jews, and that's exactly what the Jews would be dealing with. So, you know, I thought, well, I just scoot right on through this and move on to chapter 5. Well, I can't do that because there it is before us. Uh, really what I'm saying is that I can't take that approach, can I? My approach is there's a lot here that we really haven't really thought about deeply enough. Because every time you go into God's Word, even though you have an understanding of this, I know we're saved by grace and it's not by our works, it's not by the law, it's not by circumcision, whatever that is, right? And we go, I know about that, let's move on. And uh, we, we could be tempted to do that. Uh, no, we look at this and we go, okay, the Jew is saying this, and we're going to convert it also to us as Christians. What in the world does this mean to us? Well, everything. Matter of fact, you find yourselves in here, and I like the part where it gets to the promise, you know, in the next section, part two there. Because we are heirs. And Abraham is our father, too. So here we go. We start in verse 9. Is this blessing? And we could start talking about blessings, but I'll move on. Blessings means, you know, in a sense, we are happy. We've been blessed by the Lord, where, you know, but there's a, a much stronger depth of just being happy. But we're blessed, and it came off of verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those who are lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Can you guys agree with that? We are blessed. Well, who said that? David did. You see, there are two men that are walking way over the heads of all the other Jews. Abraham, the progenitor of the Jews, and David, the great king. And he uses the two greatest examples of showing you're justified by faith. And this is the cry. I feel like I'm part of the Reformation movement whenever we are uh, dealing with this text. And we are, aren't we? We continually reform. Always reforming. Always reforming. Semper Fidelis, right? We continue to keep being reformed as we are changed by the Word of God. Okay, well... Is this blessing then that David had, how blessed you are to have your sins taken away from you and cast away forever. Are you blessed? Yes. And then he says this. Is this blessing then for the circumcised? See, the Jews still have a struggle with this. What Paul is presenting just sounds absolutely against everything they believe. And so he says this... What they would be asking, is this on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? The Jews would say, well, it's for the circumcised only. It's for the Jews only that they are forgiven. They can't boast, but they are. That's their problem. And so he uses that. Now, the Jews did not believe in, get this, folks, God's grace. See, we believe in grace alone, don't we? 
We also believe in faith alone, don't we? You're saved by grace through faith. Do the Jews believe that? No, absolutely not. And they will tell you that. Because you must, as we look at it today, you must be circumcised and you must follow the law. That's what will get you into heaven. That's what they believed and that's what he's approaching here then. Uh, it's a works-based salvation, Judaism is. And they go right into the very same religion that Hinduism is, that Muslims are, and you go on and on and on and on. Uh, circumcision was a most important element to the Jew. I mean, it was so key. And if you're not circumcised, or at least as far as the men are concerned, and you're in that Judaism, whether you're woman or man, uh, you know, they even said this, if you've been circumcised and you become an idolater, you still are going to go to heaven. That's how important circumcision was. Uh, well, circumcision was not a guarantee, uh, but as far as they were concerned, it, it was. That was a major argument. So uh, we look at this section today, and Paul addresses circumcision and the law. Verses 9 through 12 is circumcision. 13 through 17 is the law. And he makes it very clear. Uh, and by the way, these two things, circumcision and the law, have nothing to do with justification by faith. We say it all the time in, in this church, justified by faith. The cry of the Reformation, what's the cry of the Bible? You're justified because you believe. Not because you've done anything. But the Jews we know, and this is like old hat. We've talked about this forever and ever and ever and ever. And yes, we have, but I'll tell you what. It always rears its ugly head. You've got to do something for salvation. And what Paul does is he sweeps away any sacramental, ceremonial ritual. He just sweeps them all away as far as approaching salvation. They're all worthless to that. And when you think of baptism, it equates with circumcision. Baptism, we know, plays a key role in a Christian's life. We're baptized to show what happened to us. But baptism never saves, even though there are people that will say that. And there is a baptismal regeneration believed by what would be called Protestants. Uh, the Church of Christ would gladly tell you that you're not born again until you are baptized in the water by the Church of Christ. Uh, Christian churches, they believe that. That's one of their very tenets of their belief. I'm not just making something up. That's what they believe. Uh, there also are other uh, denominations who would believe in a uh, an infant baptism that saves you. And of course we know in Catholicism that that's one of their key elements. Ceremonies are endless in the Roman Catholic Church. Infant baptism, communion, confirmation, uh, adult baptism, all those ceremonies. And they're just endless. They go on and on and on. Their ceremonies and rites are called sacraments. They pride themselves in that. And again, I'm not trying to go against the Catholic Church. I'm just saying, here's what they believe. And they would probably tell you that's absolutely right. I'm not making anything up to make them look bad. Here's what they believe. And then what you do is compare what we're reading in Romans how much different it is than what they say. That's why there was a Reformation. That's why there continues to be a Reformation today because there are a lot of Protestant churches who are citing right in and saying, we believe the same thing that the Catholics do. And I go, no, we don't. No way. And I'll never buy that because that's leading people right to hell. Um, listen to some of their quotes. The sacraments confer grace immediately without the mediation of faith. We're justified by faith? No. All the sacraments of the New Testament confer sanctifying grace on the receivers. You get grace when you practice those sacraments. Here's another one. 
Sacramental rites confer regeneration. Did you hear that? Forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. Sacraments, that's how you get grace. By doing those sacraments, by baptism, which is regeneration. Here's another one. Neither orthodox belief nor moral worthiness is necessary. You don't even have to believe. If you're in a Catholic church and you do the things that they say, then you are on the right road. Baptism confers the grace of justification. Paul says circumcision did not mean anything for justification. See, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, am I? I'm just saying here's what they believe. This is why we have to go back to the Word of God. They say, according to Holy Writ, baptism has the power both of eradicating sin and affecting inner sanctification. The water baptism, the H2O in the Catholic Church, has the power to eradicate sin. That's how they get rid of sin. So, here's another one. Baptism affects the forgiveness of all punishments of sin. Both the eternal and the temporal. Here's another one. Baptism is necessary for all men, without exception, for salvation. Would we ever, ever say that? And you'd say, yeah, but I know a lot of Catholics, and and they're, they're Christians and they're believers. Well, I cannot say that all Catholics are not believers. But I'm wondering, what are they believing then? And if they believe these things, I would want to approach them with the Gospel. And like I say, I can't make a judgment upon those people, but if they're relying upon this, Paul is just out and out saying it's wrong. It's leading them to the wrong conclusion. So is this blessing that David talked about, this forgiveness that you have an imputation of righteousness, that's what we talked about last week, an imputation is the very righteousness of Christ is put to our account. It's a banking term. It's an, a mathematical term. It means to be credited. I didn't have this in my account and all of a sudden it is transferred to my account. That would be the righteousness of Christ. It's not infused in me, but it's imputed. It's counted as righteousness as far as God is concerned. So, the Jews here would say, no, the uncircumcised person, that would be the Gentile, can ever claim share of the covenant that God made with Abraham and the Jews. That's what the Jews would be coming back up to Paul and addressing him. Can you imagine as he's writing this, he's doing it, because this is exactly wherever he went, whatever town he went into, whatever synagogue he went to, he was addressed with these questions. And so he is putting up what their questions are, and he meets it and he says, no. It's absolutely not. Just because you're a Jew and you've been circumcised, that doesn't mean a hill of beans to God for justification by faith. So, uh, that's how the Jews viewed that. Abraham was declared righteous because he was circumcised. Did you hear that? <laughs> they would believe that Abraham was accounted righteousness because of what? Because of circumcision. That's exactly what they would be saying. When we go back to Genesis 15.6 where we were dealing with last week. And it comes up again this week. You say, I've heard all of this before. Yeah, we all have, and we will continue to hear it. Because we need to hear what grace is, folks. It's so radical. There's nothing you can do. Okay, Abraham is involved here in Genesis 15. In verse 5, God took Abraham outside and said, Now look toward the heavens. Count the stars. If you're able to count them, and he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then, are you ready? He, that's Abraham, believed in the Lord. 
And he reckoned it, or counted it to him, or imputed it to him as righteousness. Right there is where it happens. You see, God said, I've got a promise. The land, uh, the people, a blessing to all the peoples of the world, and then finally, the seed that is Abraham, that he has of Isaac, and then it goes on to Jacob, and then the rest of them, all the way to the Messiah. That seed, that seed is what we're really pushing to. All of this is the promise that Abraham is getting. And it's based not upon what he did or he was circumcised. Did you know he didn't even... He wasn't circumcised at this time. It's like 14 years later where he is circumcised. He's declared righteous. Why? Because he believed. It's faith. Faith means believe. I believe in God and the way that He has planned for salvation. And I'm not going to try any of those other works that everybody else is doing. I'm believing that that's the way that I am going to be with God. So, um, circumcision doesn't happen till uh, 14 years later. Look in chapter 17, at verse 24. Now, Abraham was 99 years old. Now, this is two chapters later, right? And there's a covenant that God has made with Abraham. And he's 99 when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, not Isaac here, but Ishmael was his son, but that wasn't the one of promise. Isaac is, that comes from Abraham and Sarah's, uh, that's how that whole idea of the Jewish race would go from there. Ishmael winds up being what would be the Arab world, and also I would say kind of representing what would be many, many hundreds of years later where Muslim theology is at. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That's when Abraham was circumcised, that's when Ishmael is. This is, and it was this uh, promise that God made to Abraham was a year before Ishmael was ever even uh, born. So that's a year, and then now he's Ishmael's 13, so that's 14 years probably that it was that Abraham then became circumcised. So this means that circumcision has nothing to do with his justification. It is a sign, a symbol, we'll get to that in a moment. But the blessing of forgiveness that David talked about, the granting of righteousness that was dealing with what Abraham believed and also David, did you know that Abraham actually was an uncircumcised Gentile Whenever he was declared righteous, had you ever thought of that? He was not a Jew at that time. He was uncircumcised. He was a Gentile when he received it. There were no Jews at that time. He was an uncircumcised Gentile from a people of idolaters. That's what he had been into. Pagan idolatry is what he was raised up in. Circumcision had nothing to do with his righteousness. Nothing to do with at all. There wasn't any work that he could have done. So now we go back to... Uh, why, are you still in Genesis, by the way? Genesis 17. Uh, let's look at verse 11. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. It's a sign. Circumcision was meant by God to do, but it has nothing to do with justification. But in another sense it does, and that it shows it's a sign. It's not the reality of it all. It's just a sign. It's a symbol. Circumcision was significant in that, here's what it is, it identifies 
the people that would later follow through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then as they multiplied, the physical and the ethnicity lineage of Abraham. That's what it identified with. Symbolism had to do with the need to cut away from the foreskin to be cleansed. People do that today. It is actually keeps it clean. But we're talking about a spiritual thing of what this was all about. Now, it was the male organ which clearly demonstrated the depth of depravity of man. You say, what? Why? Because it carried the seed that produced depraved sinners. Abraham would pass on Isaac, then his son, then Jacob, the twelve tribes, and on and on. And that seed was depraved all the way up to the seed that is the Messiah, who was not depraved. And that's really where it's all pointing to. Ultimately, that's the where the promise lies. So this is all about a deep cleansing to reverse the effects of depravity. That's what this symbol is. Because they were depraved and the seed is there, it's to reverse the effect of them being depraved. So in verse 11, when it says circumcision is viewed both as a sign and a seal, that's in our Romans 4.11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while he was uncircumcised, a Gentile so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. See, he's the father of the Jews, right? And they're, they're circumcised. But he's also the father of the Gentile because that's what he was. And he's the father of all of those Gentiles who believe. Guess what? Father Abraham for Christians. Father Abraham, right? You think, well, that's for the Jews. No, it's for us too. It's for the Jews who believe and Gentiles who believe. And of course, that's the point that he is doing. When you see a sign, what do you do? What do you do with that sign? When you're driving down the road and it says, Jeff City, 10 miles, do you get out and jump and hug that sign? No, all it is is a sign, but it's pointing to the reality of what it's about. It signifies. What does circumcision signify? It signifies faith. It signifies it that, that way. Um, as a sign, it was a picture pointing to the desperate need of every sinner to have heart surgery. See, it's really about the heart. You say, wait a minute, you've gone from circumcision to the heart. Yeah, circumcise your heart. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. It's also a seal. The sign is to... People and it separated the Jews from all the other people. It's a sign of saying we have a cleansing in our hearts spiritually. As a seal, it was evidence to Abraham that God had provided for him forgiveness. It provided for him salvation. It was a sign to all. It was a seal to Abraham that his faith was real. He had already been pronounced righteous, declared righteous his faith, and that he would be the father of all who would believe. So when it says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him righteousness, we are related to Abraham, folks, because we have the same belief that he did. We believe God it's counted to us as righteousness. That's why we don't go through all of those rituals. We do have baptism. We do have the Lord's Supper. They're pictures. They don't save us. But they sure help. It's a good thing. So as a sign to all, it was a seal to Abraham that his faith is real and that he is the father of all who believe. Baptism declares that God saves those who put trust in Him and by that act, they died with Him. They arise with Him. We are in Christ. It's the death 
the burial, and the resurrection. And that's what the baptism is. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's why we have it. And that's why it's related to circumcision. That's why we believe in a believer's baptism. And I know there are many that are very, very sound theologians who don't believe in an adult baptism. They still do the infant baptism and say it's not uh, a salvation by, uh, by faith because they baptized them, but uh, it's kind of like saying they're part of the covenant. And we, by faith, are believing God, and so that's why we do this. Uh, I differ from that because of many bab- baptism scriptures. They will also use the scriptures. I look at the book of Acts and I see baptism, and I see adult baptisms all over the place. I don't really see... Infant baptism, although they say the whole household, and that involves them. And we'll move on. We won't uh, spend the rest of our time with that. But do you get what I mean? Baptism does play a key role in here, but we know what it's about. So, He's the Father of all who believe. It says at the end of verse 11, all who believe without being circumcised. Everybody who believes, we have Father Abraham. We share the same faith in Him. Abraham is the model for salvation, folks. Who is the best example of justification by faith? Well, Paul used Abraham. Now, we all are. We're all examples of that, aren't we? And we can look at ourselves and we can see what we once were and what we are now. We know that there was nothing we could do. And we live by grace. We're saved by grace. It's all grace. And that is radical to say that we didn't do a thing. Because we didn't. It was all of God. It was all before the foundation of the world. We had nothing to do with it. Jacob and Esau. Jacob had nothing to do with it. Jacob I loved. Esau I hated. He chose Jacob. Why? Why did he choose me? Because it was his desire to do that. Why did he choose you? Same reason. And he granted to you faith. And you believed in him that his sacrifice, the sacrifice of God's Son, is the one who imputes righteousness to you. And that's how we get righteousness, folks. We, and in of ourselves, did not have that, but it came from Christ. So, no rituals save, only faith. That's all it can be. And that's exactly what Paul would preach from synagogue to synagogue. And he'd have those same questions. So we go to point two. And they'd say, yeah, but what about the law? We are the ones with the oracles. We have the Word of God. We have the law. Nobody else has that. Was that true at the time? Yeah, that's true. They had the written revelation from God. And it was all perfect. It was done. It was given to them. So, that would be their next problem with Paul. And he says this, For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world, was not through the law. (laughs) Boy, he makes it very clear, doesn't he? But through what? The righteousness of faith. We just keep talking about faith, don't we? Yeah. A lot of people can say, well, I believe. What do you believe in? Well, I believe. I believe there's a God. Does that save them? Uh, Well, which God? Well, the God that is the God of everybody. Well, who's He? Does it come down to Jesus? Well, for me it does, but for others it can be anybody. I've got a problem with that. Do you guys have a problem with that? There's only one way. I don't think they believe in Jesus alone, do they? Christ alone. So, uh, we, we come to this law versus promise. I love promise, folks. This is what we're going to wind up with today. The promise. We are heirs because of Abraham. Because of that great example. We're heirs just like he's heirs. Did you know the whole world is going to be his? The whole world is going to be ours. 
everything that is Christ's is ours. I mean, that's unbelievable. How does that happen? Are you kidding me? We'll go through a few scriptures and just see that. Um, So what the law does is this. First of all, and I've got there, the law brings about wrath. Well, when you first start with it in verse 13, it says, for the promised Abraham. But you keep reading, and then in verse 15, for the law brings about wrath. Because that's her question. What about the law then? We have it. The law curses you. The law condemns you. The law damns you. You see, all that it can do is bring about wrath. You cannot be saved by it. And, and what were the people doing? What were the Pharisees doing when Jesus was walking the earth? They were following the law, or so they thought. He had to redefine it to them. It really comes down to the law that's in the heart. You see, the law does not produce salvation. All it does is condemns us. So the promise to Abraham was not through the law. Abraham could not have been justified by keeping the law of Moses. You want to know why? The law was given 430 years later. Do you follow? Was Abraham justified because he obeyed the commandments? No. It was justified by faith. That channel. The argument, that's the argument they're having. Before the law was ever given, there was already a promise in effect. And if the law comes along later and then says, boom, you're out of here, promise, boom, you're gone. Now it's the law, and you have to keep the law, and if you don't do it, you're not going to heaven. Where does that put us? He changed his mind. His promise is no good. We can't count on Him. And now everything has been changed. How would you like to have the game changed just like that? You're saved by grace through faith. And then 430 years later, He says, No, 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 i got a better idea. You have to keep the law to get there. Well, that's where the problem ran in for the Jews from here on out. You see, it's a matter. It's a good thing. And it is part of our being desiring to follow God, but it shows that you can't. It always does that. What is it that Abraham believed? Remember we said he believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Well, he believed the promise. Because he says in verse 13, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law. What What is the promise? What's the promise? Well, it's a promise of salvation in all of its fullness. You see, he believed that when God showed him the covenant, and when you get into chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 18, chapter 22, you get parts of the covenant a promise to Abraham. It would be a blessing to him. And that's the idea. There was quite the spiritual promise. Let's go to Genesis 12.3. Back to that promise. And it says, we'll look in, 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 in verse 2, and I will make you a great nation. Okay, from you, Abraham, is going to become a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall be a you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Not just from his seed physically, but anybody who believes like Abraham believes, which is us. Do you see the blessings that are given to him? Well, that's in chapter 12. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 5. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. He reckoned him as righteousness. All the amount of the stars that are there, can you count them? And he says, well, if you can, that's how many descendants you're going to have, which was just multitudes and multitudes and multitudes. It's like the whole world, in a sense. Uh, You see, justification is believing in a promise. He believed the promise. 
Let's go to chapter 18, verse 18. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him. Children, the household and such. But what do you have there? A great and mighty nation and then all the nations. He, that's where it's leading to the fact that he is the father of them all. In chapter 22, verse 18, this, these are all mounting up, these promises. It's the promise. It's the covenant. Uh, Genesis 22:18. look at this. In your seed. And is that singular or plural? Singular. In the seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Seed. And it could be referring to the seed that is Isaac. And Isaac's seed of Jacob and on and on and on. But ultimately, where is that? Usually you would say seeds because he said, look at all the stars, look at your descendants, what they're going to be, seeds. And he's saying seed, what is he saying seed ultimately? What does it mean? Christ. He's the seed. The seed. Okay, let's, we're, we're talking about covenant and we're talking about Abraham believing the promise. This is just where it gets so good, folks. Go to Galatians 3. Are you still with me? Okay, Galatians 3, verse 8. The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And what was my question to lead in this whole title today? How can I be justified? How can I be righteous before God? The Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. If you have faith, which is the word is related with pistuo, pistis, believe, faith, it's the same thing. Um, Look at verse 16 of Galatians 3. This whole chapter is really just brilliant. Uh, Verse 16, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, what does it mean? That is, what does it say? Christ. That's how I interpreted earlier, and there's the verse right there to support it. The seed is Christ. That's where all the promises are going to come through. That's where all the inheritance and the heirs are coming from. You just see how Abraham is seen in Galatians. He's seen in Romans here. He's the father of of the faith. He's the great example of it. Abraham understood this spiritual promise. Look at John 8:56. Abraham knew what the promise was. He believed God, right? And accounted him as righteous. What did he believe? Well, verse 56, your father, Abraham, as he's speaking to the Jews, rejoiced to see my day. This is Christ speaking. He rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. This is what Abraham was looking to. There has to be one who would die in his place. Now, I don't know how much details he had, but he cannot count on his righteousness. It has to come from God. In Genesis 22, many years later, he's sacrificing his son. He's willing to do it. Isaac, which is a picture of the Messiah, and he doesn't kill him. He was ready to do it, wasn't he? And this is because of his faith. He trusted God. God will bring him back to life. He believed in resurrection. He believed that there had to be somebody dying in his place. A sacrificial atonement. 
substitutionary. Do you get it? I believe Abraham understood that there had to be a son of God, the son of God to die in his place. He saw this day of Christ and what did he do? He rejoiced in that day. Who knows what all he believed at first. He just believed God. God says all these descendants, it's going to be many and you're going to be the heir of it. Look in Hebrews 11 verses 9-10. through 10. Do you know what Hebrews 11 is about? It's called the hall of what? Faith. Hebrews 11 verses 9-10. and 10. By faith he lived as an alien. By faith. In the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The whole culmination of it all. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive. She believed it even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered Him faithful, who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, as Abraham, as that as many descendants as the stars of heaven, and number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. They were saved by faith, and they lived by faith. Faith alone. Because of the grace of God. And he was still looking for the fulfillment. And it's summed up as we look back in our Romans 4, our Romans 4 13, for the promised Abraham or to his descendants that he'd be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's what Hebrews is all about. What did it say he was or is heir of the world? That's amazing. That is wow. He's going to inherit everything. And when you look at Galatians, Galatians 3, it makes that wow factor very bright. In Galatians 3.29, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, right? And look at this. Heirs according to to promise. Everything that was promised to Abraham as far as salvation here is concerned and being heirs. Abraham is given the land. We know there's a land promise. And he looked forward to that. The Jews did go into the promised land and as they had been in slavery and then came back. He was to have a great nation through a seed and then He would be the blessing to the world. But fourthly, is the seed or the Redeemer. Which means one who purchased us. Look in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say in the seeds is referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed, that is Christ. That is how it all works. Whenever God gave the covenant promise, it was really based upon who? Christ. It was an unconditional covenant, meaning that no matter what Abraham did, God is going to fulfill it through Christ. It's not a Mosaic covenant, which is conditional. The Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. Based upon the grace of Christ and the promise. This promise brings certainty. Now let's go ahead and finish our text up and we're right at the end, folks. Are you ready to finish this up? Romans 4 now. Now, and he's, he's going against the law and he says in verse 15, for the law brings about wrath. But where there's no law, there's no violation. Abraham wasn't under that law. There was a law put into his heart and he desired to live a godly life. But look at this. 16, for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. It's by faith. According to grace. You're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. 
So it says, so the descendants, not only those who are of the law to the Jewish people, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, that would be us, who is the father of us all. The seed, the promise seed. If you have to earn your justification by works, then it's up to you to earn your salvation, then it's pretty obvious that you could forfeit your salvation. Because it says here it's a promise that is guaranteed. Did you see that in verse 16? So that the promise will be guaranteed to all those descendants who have faith. It's guaranteed. Did you know that there is a sign and a seal? Did you know who our seal is according to Ephesians? Ephesians 1, 13, I believe, through there. The Holy Spirit is our seal. He has sealed us to the day of redemption of our bodies. The promise is guaranteed, folks. You don't have to worry about fouling up, even though we shouldn't. But we still battle sin, we know that. But you could forfeit it if there's some kind of work involved, and that's where the Arminians are in trouble, folks, and they do believe that you can lose salvation. The Arminian, one of the tenets of Arminianism is that you come on your own power. Um, It is because you did something. Christ did it at the cross, and that's halfway. Now you have to walk across this bridge and jump to the other side. It's now your works that are going to keep you saved. That's Arminianism at its heart. Either you're saved by grace or you're not, folks. They add to grace. And Arminian is not by faith alone. But it's believing God and at the same time then doing something. So they have to earn it. And they can forfeit it. One of the tenets of Arminian theology is that, and it says here that this promise is guaranteed. God never goes back on a promise He doesn't lie. So when it's by reason of faith, and it's in accordance with grace, the promise is guaranteed. When you, when you have faith, and it's by grace of God, it's guaranteed forever. That's the salvation by faith that Abraham had. And we close it out with the last verse here. Romans 4, 17. A father of many nations that I've made you, you get that right, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He believed in a Creator God. He believed in a life-giving God. Abraham did. He believed that God is the only hope for salvation and that's the only place where He can be considered to be justified. God is so gracious and He forgives our sin. He gave us life when we were dead in our sin just like Abraham had been dead in his sin and gave Him And ultimately... Even in the loins of Abraham, there, his body looked like it was dead, and, and Sarah should have been, her body should have been dead for giving life, and that's when God did that, and that's what the next text comes about. It was hope against hope, and that's probably what our title would be next week. He knew that the fulfillment of the promise was not locked in Isaac only but in a seed that's far down in history. How can I be right before a holy God? That's what we ask. Believe God. Believe His promises. How can I be saved? Remember the jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. His sacrifice at the cross. And that's what pays for your sins. Believe that. And it will be counted to you as righteousness. That's the idea. Let's pray. Great holy God, as we look at a text that we're probably very familiar with, 
And we see this throughout Paul's writings. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it all throughout the New Testament. But as we look at it, Lord, it's all by grace. We realize that we are nothing without You. But Lord, You also say that we are heirs to the promise. And now we have everything. As being in Christ, we have everything right now pertaining to life and godliness and we know coming in the future in that great land of glory that we are all marching to, Lord, we will see things that we can't even imagine now and we'll be part of it. And it's really about seeing the person of Christ. All those things, the streets of gold and everything else, as cool as they sound, it's really all about being in the very presence of Christ, seeing Him as He is, and the One who paid the price for us, and we get to be heirs of all of this new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem. We are possessors of it because of Christ. Lord, what great news this is, is and we shout to You, giving you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Make you want to shout.